I'm Laura Marsh, a field biologist and avid conservationist. I know firsthand that finding wildlife work is tough. You're often underpaid, undervalued, and burnt out. These are the stories and interviews from people just like you to help find solutions to the systemic problems in our industry and bring more equity and justice to the rich diversity of life on our planet. We are shaking up the world of conservation through Nova Conversations. Hello, friends. Today's episode is where I interview Sophie Bell, and I really enjoyed meeting Sophie. I didn't know her before this, but she's such a kind soul and a sweet person. And I heard about her because she wrote a blog for Wildlife Tech, and I'll link the blog in the show notes, but it was just, you know, red flags to know about wildlife and animal volunteering. I think we all want to do what's good for the animals. We want to do what's good for the planet. And this is so clear in our interview with Sophie that that's her heart. And still something happens where we can get misled or tripped up into thinking we have to pay to have these experiences or we end up going with a an organization that is exploitative and problematic. And you don't know these things until you know them. I think this is kind of a like a episode where I would want it to, I would want people who are younger to hear this because it's a warning sign almost. It's sad because it's all about the money. It's a problem in our industry. I'm going to actually read a quote that we had in the episode where I say, our love and passion for animals and wildlife is creating these systems of exploitation. And then Sophie says, and these systems will exploit it knowing full well it's not good for the animals, but they do it because they know people will pay to do it. And that's the problem. And that's hopefully what we're trying to change through this podcast and through our nonprofit that I'm starting for Nova Conservation. (laughs) So um, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it, review it, share it with other people and um, help me and us all continue our journey on being better educated and putting our money, time and effort into organizations and institutions that actually do good for the planet. And without further ado, enjoy my interview with Sophie Bell. Welcome back, everyone. This is Nova Conversations. I'm here with Sophie Bell. Now, Sophie, I have just met you for the first time right now. I know very little about you, except that you wrote this awesome blog post on wildlife volunteering and some of the red flags to look out for. So introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? What's your experience with wildlife volunteering? A brief introduction. And where are you located? Yeah, okay. Um, So hi, everyone. I'm Sophie. Um, I'm located in Nottingham in the UK um, at the moment. I'm originally from Manchester. I have a bachelor's degree in animal behavior and welfare um, and a master's in zoo conservation biology. Um, I, at the minute, I'm kind of working in social media, communications and marketing. So yeah, I'm more like the communication side of conservation, but obviously through my degrees, um, I got quite a bit of field work experience during that. And yeah, I've been blogging as well for quite a while. So that's something I really like doing, which is obviously what you've seen. <laughs> so science um, communication is important. Yes, yeah, definitely. I think it's it's probably one of the most like important aspects of conservation because obviously if, if no one cares about the animals because they're not connected, like 
they're not going to care enough to try and do anything about it. So absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. So tell us, you said you have some field experience, some of your field positions. I like to start episodes just asking what your favorite field work experience is, whether it's funny, embarrassing, um, just silly, um, something you're really proud of, something you did that was really difficult that you just want to share, um, scary, any, what's your, what's your field experience that you love to share? I mean, I I wouldn't say I'm proud of it. It's probably more on the embarrassing side, (laughs) (laughs) but it kind of actually came to me today. It just kind of came back to me and I was like, I don't really tell many people that probably because it's very embarrassing, but why not? <laughs> um, <laughs> why not in, in, in a podcast form? <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, when I was doing um, my bachelor's degree, I think um, we went on a trip to South Africa, um, which was amazing. And that was kind of my like, that was my first, my first long haul flight, like my first time going away anywhere on my own for any amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um so we went to South Africa and we stayed in this amazing like family run reserve. Um, so it might even have been within like the first 24 hours of being there. Um, <laughs> and we went on kind of a walked survey of the reserve. So we were like walking through the bush. Um, mm-hmm. They were like telling us like tips and tricks, like things to look out for because we were going to be walking through there a lot um, with our projects and everything. So we're just walking along and then we come across this white rhino and she was just kind of minding a business, just, just like chewing on some grass. And we were like a good few meters away, but like really close. And they kind of said to us like, just, you know, stay quiet because the eyesight's not great. So they can't see us, but like, just, they rely more on their hearing. So try and stay quiet. Okay. Um, so obviously everyone was kind of just like edging, like slowly, like a little bit closer um and I was like getting my camera out I was just like so in awe like staring at this rhino and obviously Mm. also being cautious like that's a wild animal like I'm very close to a wild animal for like the first time ever like just keeping an eye on her and I walked like straight into um an acacia bush which is like the needles on these things are like eight ten centimeters long and like it just went straight into my leg (gasps) yeah and then like everyone obviously I kind of like looked down and was like oh my goodness then like everyone had started kind of walking like closer they'd kind of I was kind of falling back a bit and I was like how do I do this without being loud I was just kind of like "Mm." and I I couldn't like bring myself to like remove myself (laughs) um so I kind of I eventually managed to get one of my lecturers um like attention and he helped me remove it from my leg but yeah that was like one of my like first field work experiences, I guess. And yeah, it wasn't great, but it's, it's memorable. <laughs> it is, it is memorable. So did you, when it, like, when you notice it going into your leg, did you like yelp at all? I mean, I mean or did you? Like, no, I feel like it was one of those things where it's like, you don't necessarily feel it. And then you kind of look and then it's like, oh my God. And then you like, <laughs> then you feel it. <laughs> then you realize you're in trouble okay yeah oh my goodness how terrifying I would want to scream in pain and you can't scream because a rhino could come charging at you yeah it could have gone a lot worse yes yes I'm glad you were able to safely and calmly you know and that's a good example of kind of just the things that we don't expect in the field 
yeah. the, you have to be mentally and emotionally prepared for almost anything yeah. because who knows how we deal with stressors. Like I'm not a good person to deal with stress. I panic. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I shut down. And so I'm glad that for a first experience in the field, you were able to calmly control the situation, understand that you are not going to be yelling and flailing about and um, (laughs) just calmly get help. That's awesome. Okay. So you said your bachelor's was in, remind me again, because I tried to write it down and I didn't. Animal behavior and welfare. Animal behavior and welfare. Okay. Did you have to do a thesis project with that? If so, what was that like? Yeah, so I did my thesis. It was on captive guinea baboons. It was kind of observing their behavior and how they like interact with each other and like just their grooming behavior. And if like they did more of it to certain individuals, if they got things in return and and yeah, stuff like that. Um, but it was a really tough one because it was in the middle of winter and um, the baboons kind of have the option whether to go inside or not <laughs> um so I'd kind of travel all the way to the zoo and they'd all be inside and there was literally I just couldn't collect any data but again another example of um it just not being expected when when you have to work with animals right I the the expectation versus the reality of mm. working with animals what was your expectation going into like an animal behavior undergrad and then the realities what were some of the thoughts you had about being a biologist or going into this job career and then the realities that actually hit you that this is not the way they portray on tv or social oh, media yeah. yeah I think it's kind of I guess there's almost an expectation of like all these wildlife documentaries where you see these animals doing these amazing behaviors and like they explain them to you and it's kind of this expectation that they just do that all the time and like you're always going to be able to capture that and like you know that's not this reality of like it takes months of like sitting in a rainforest watching them to actually get this like short clip mm-hmm. and it's kind of the same with collecting data I guess like um it's difficult with like my dissertation because it's only a few months like you only have a few months to complete it and obviously you've got to plan it you've got to collect the data you've got to analyze it write it up so it, there's a lot of pressure to get the right amount of data in a very small space of time. So, and when animals aren't very reliable, they're not always going to do what you want them to do. It's, it's, it's definitely a tough one. Absolutely. Yeah. So talking about that data and collecting data, your master's was in zoo conservation and what was it? Zoo conservation biology. <laughs> Zoo conservation biology. Okay, so what was your master's project like and what kind of data were you collecting? Um, So on that one, it wasn't, I wasn't going out and physically collecting data. It was more like collecting already existing data from papers and kind of analyzing that all together and trying to find patterns and things. Metadata. Yeah, so after I'd been to Africa, I kind of came away with this passion for rhino conservation Um, and I'd heard a lot while I was there about like the the poaching crisis and the the reserve that I volunteered on they'd had a lot of it firsthand and they were very attached to their animals so it was like all very emotional and for the first time I kind of realized like wow this is like such a huge issue and like 
when you're there um it's you kind of you just take it in and you're like wow like I want to do something about this Mm -hmm. um so I came away with this passion and then in my master's I had a bit more freedom as to what I did my dissertation on I chose to do it on like rhino poaching and I was kind of collecting data um, from existing papers about whether it would be feasible or not to legalize the rhino horn trade and kind of what factors influenced poaching like Mm -hmm. time of year time of day like taurus Mm -hmm. and yeah things like that and just kind of brought all of that together into my thesis my master's i'm actually looking at getting it published at the minute but not quite yet but hopefully eventually (laughs) it is hard to get published i i um i still have not gotten my master's thesis work published in a peer reviewed journal and i actually i just kind of gave up on that yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know that's life um So tell me a little bit about when you traveled to South Africa or other places potentially, and you've done wildlife volunteering and you felt like the animals maybe were in, could have been in better shape or you felt exploited or you felt like something just was kind of off in those situations. What did that look like? What did that feel like? How did you intuitively sense that? you know, this was maybe not a good choice to pay, like put money into what, tell me about that experience. Yeah. Experience. So, um, when I went on my university trip to South Africa, obviously we stayed on this amazing reserve that I spoke about and we stayed there for about 10 days. And obviously when we were already buying the flights to South Africa, it's so far away. I was like, I've always wanted to go like, why am I not staying a little bit longer? It just seems silly to come back so soon. Right. Um, So I thought, you know, I'll look for a volunteering program. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I ended up doing my research or at the time, obviously what I thought was good enough research, but now I do a lot more. And I picked this program. It was for another 10 days. So I ended up going to this program and it was kind of advertised as like a rehabilitation sanctuary. They had like, like lions, elephants. Um, It was, it was mostly like big cats. Um, So I was like, oh, that's amazing. They're like my favorite animals. Like, it's going to be great. So I went there um, and it was like, it just wasn't what I was expecting in terms of a conservation experience, I guess. I'd say it was more kind of like an opportunity to take photos as a tourist than actually like making a difference to anyone or any animal, which I was obviously disappointed about. I'd kind of beforehand, I'd watched loads of like YouTube videos about this place, which in hindsight, I think is probably a little bit of a red flag if they have kind of quite substantial YouTubers representing them and Mm -hmm. staying with them for free to do so like maybe they don't necessarily need all the money that they're getting from the volunteers but yeah so I'd watched all of these YouTube videos and I thought I'm gonna make such a difference um like in the YouTube videos it was kind of portrayed they'd made all these enrichment activities for the animals and like the animals seemed to really enjoy it and everyone was really emotional like we've made such a difference I was like oh I can't wait and then I got there and they basically got us to do the exact enrichment activity that I'd seen on YouTube previously and we got we were doing it for like five minutes before they turned it into a photo opportunity and 
I think that's kind of the point where I realized I was like this isn't for the animals like this was already basically here they just got us to like work on it and just and then just take pictures to say that we've done it when we haven't really done anything and Whoa. yeah I think that's kind of when I realized I was like oh like it's it's not really about the animals too much which was disappointing obviously and then I think mostly the the price was one of the biggest downsides to it I, I only realized when I was actually researching for the blog that you mentioned how extortionate it actually was I, I kind of looked back on it it was it was about four years ago that I went now so I okay. kind of just didn't realize and I looked back on it and I was comparing it to the first reserve I stayed at that also has a volunteer program mm-hmm. um, and it was three times more expensive yeah and I think I paid the same for 10 days there than I would for six weeks at the reserve that gave valuable conservation, like real-time experience. And none of the excursions were included in, in, in the more expensive one either. Wow. Yeah. And like a, half the time was basically spent um, just kind of being social, like, which is fine if, if, you know, if that's the experience you want, but that's not the experience I was expecting. I was expecting a lot more work. I think it was kind of, we'd have kind of one work activity in the morning and then one in the afternoon. And then like the whole rest of the time we were kind of just left to to our own devices to kind of Mm. do whatever, like hang around the pool or just like chill with everyone. Like, and I was just a bit like, what, what am I actually paying for? Right. (laughs) Because it was such rustic accommodation as well. Like I was like, I'd I'd understand, you know, if it was five-star accommodation and it was a social thing, like that's fine. But like, I, I just didn't really understand where my money was going. Right. That's so confusing. Yeah. (laughs) Reining to have that one expectation. And it's interesting that you mentioned that you paid um, your expectation going in and paying this amount. And then you expected that you would be working more because a lot of times I have been talking to people and they say, and so I'd like to get your thoughts on this. They'd say, you know, if you pay X amount of money, if you pay a large sum of money, you should not be working and being treated like a servant hauling buckets of slop across a compound or, you know, doing the hard labor. So it's interesting to me that your expectation was that you would work more when maybe some of the other people were thinking, oh, this is great. Like I paid for this experience, this resort type of kind of gritty experience and I only have to do the bare minimum this is perfect this is exactly what I signed up for and it's just all about the expectations of what we think we're getting so talk to me a little bit about like you 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 were okay to pay and work yeah I think kind of it was it's not necessarily like wanting to pay to to work more it was more like if I'm paying this amount of money I expect valuable experience yes okay that I can put like on my CV and will help me drive forward my career, which obviously will be some form of what work. But yeah, I just didn't get anything that I could like put on my CV now and say that I've done. So it, it just seemed very almost like wasted money um, mm-hmm. from my perspective anyway. Like it's, it's not to say that it, it was an awful place or an awful experience. Like I had a good time, but, um, and everyone there definitely cared about the animals, but I just think I, I had a look at their website earlier and they do say that it includes bush conservation 
mm. and game drives, which is interesting because it's not really a working reserve. It was more of a farm um, and a hotel. So it was, it was just a bit strange to me to look back on because there wasn't really any conservation to do <laughs> as such because there wasn't really any wild animals. They were all in cages. So yeah, that's interesting to me that they advertise that. So yeah, you can see why I expected a little bit more from the experience. Right, using those key words like conservation and helping support the animal population. That is a marketing technique. That mm. A lot of times just gets people's bodies, you know, bodies in the reserve or in the compound in, on the farm and their money is taken and they don't really care what happens afterward, but it's the buzzword, yeah. the conservation, the protection, the wildlife yeah, exactly. preservation when clearly it was not. And that's a shame that you had that, you know, like it's, it's unfortunate. And I also think it's interesting that I've, I've talked to a few different people and they, they always say like, you know, I had a good time. I was, I still you know, had a good time. And I think we have to like qualify the fact that we are privileged enough to go to these places and always saying, I, I still, I had a good time. Like I'm, I'm grateful. I got the chance to yet or, but it did not meet my expectations and that's okay. Yeah. It, it's the freedom. I think in this podcast is what I'm trying to get to the freedom of saying, this is, this is not okay. Yeah. We get to travel and we get, we are privileged and I recognize my privilege, but still, if you pay for an experience and you feel exploited and taken advantage of, and that was not what you were expecting, it's okay to be upset and to leave bad reviews and warn other people about it. And that's what we're hoping to do. And through this podcast and through other means too. So yeah, hundred percent, because I think it's, you know, it's, it's not, like I say, it's not a bad place. Like mm -hmm. that's not what I'm saying. I just think it's, it's kind of how it's advertised that is what concerns me I think with a lot of places as well I think the main issue is that they reach out to this group of people that like are maybe like younger maybe a bit more naive like they're just desperate to help animals <laughs> and like just be with wildlife so like they kind of play up to this and mm -hmm. I mean definitely what happened with me you know like I saw it I was like oh my god I get to spend all this time with the animals like it's gonna be amazing but and I didn't necessarily think of like oh does it actually make an impact like am I helping conservation can I put this on my CV and that's kind of the questions I would ask now mm -hmm. which obviously I wouldn't have been aware of before so I think it's just important that people know what they're signing up for whether whether they want to do that or not yes and that's such a good point young people especially young women are driven by this desire this passion to make a difference and that's so good and so great and I encourage that in all walks of life. But then organizations can take advantage of that through their marketing techniques and through the like the YouTube videos and the influencers and all of these ways that make it sound better than it actually is. So it's, yeah, it's a warning to be careful. And I think we um, at Nova Conservation, we are wanting to hold organizations accountable to actually say and do what they said they were going to do <laughs> and not mislead the public, especially young people. 
especially people who have this passion to get in conservation and work in wildlife. And unfortunately, you can get really easily taken advantage of. And then this awareness to the young biologists or conservationists who want to do this for their career to just kind of, like you said, warn them that not everything is as it seems and there needs to be like your your blog post and which we'll link in the show notes underneath your blog post talks about all these good points and I wrote them down like do you know where your money is actually going that's a great question how does does the money go back to a YouTube influencer or their social media or getting the Google ad search higher up so they can get more people to go on their trips the rehabilitation conservation trips or does it actually give back to conservation and that's, that's such a good point too, like the money situation, because the conservation organizations that are doing the best work are generally the smallest and all their money goes back to helping their communities, their, the wildlife around them and the research and habitat preservation and protection. It's not going into marketing. It's not going into influencers. It's not going into paying ad to get to the top of the ad search it's all going back to conservation. Therefore, most people don't know about them, which is a shame. And so we wanted to you know, lift up the ones that are doing some of the best work while calling out the organizations that are not. Yeah, interestingly though, I actually found that the money definitely isn't going into like their website and advertising because I actually went back to look at their website and it's just, it's like one landing page, barely functional, like hardly any information, which is obviously a bit of a red flag, but I actually booked them through like a bigger, like ecotourism company. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which I think is another issue when it comes to the money situation, because obviously if you're booking through these massive companies, you're more likely to be spending a lot more and not really knowing where it's going. But then obviously there's also the issue of if you're a young woman like me, when I went on my own, you want that safety and Mm -hmm. that kind of knowing like this is a big company like this is legit whereas obviously it's a bit more difficult with smaller places it might be way more deserving of your help but it's it's hard Mm. to kind of make that decision to just go for it and go there if you're not entirely sure that's a great point yeah I mean yeah that's a great point you want to (laughs) go with a company that's reliable and a lot of times those are the larger ones and a lot of times those are more expensive so so let me ask you a, a deeper question that you might not have thought about or considered. And I'm just, I'm trying to think of the long-term effects of clearly we have a privileged background and we can travel and do these things. So therefore I can put, I went to Costa Rica and studied umbrella birds on my CV or my resume. You can put, you went to South Africa and studied rhino, rhinos on your resume. And that makes you look more desirable as a candidate for a biologist position. Is that fair? And if not, how do we equalize the playing field so that people who don't have the funds to travel can still have those experiences and have an equitable playing field if you don't have funds to travel, if you don't have that socioeconomic privileged background to get into conservation? Do you know any solutions? Do you have thoughts on that? Like something I've been thinking about a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely not fair. But then I think obviously it'd be great to like give people these opportunities. But in a way, I think it's more on on the people that are hiring to like not 
put like international travel over someone that's like volunteered in there right um, or like you know like if they're getting the same skills like obviously some things might be a bit more difficult to gain like in a certain country but for the most part if it's if it's field work you're going to be getting a lot of the same skills and it seems unfair that just because it looks impressive that you've done it on a certain species or in a certain country that that would put you above other people Mm -hmm. but I think it's it's definitely a difficult one just because even just being in this country like obviously if you want to volunteer with wildlife there's still certain places that have more of it and you know you've still got to potentially travel you if you have to do it for free like you how are you going to pay for accommodation nearby or travel or it's just it's yeah it's it's a really difficult one which unfortunately I don't have the solution for <laughs> I know I'm over here like what's the answer I'm like okay it's a systemic problem that's not going to get solved overnight but the more we have these conversations and start talking about it the more I think you're right employers should be aware and I even feel like when I I apply for a job and I almost should have said you know I got this opportunity to go to Costa Rica but don't choose me over someone else just because I was able to travel I don't know like I feel like the burden is on me too but until the, the employers yeah. can come around to the understanding of oh not everyone has these opportunities and we shouldn't prioritize just making bringing awareness to the situation I guess and that will help with the diversity equity and inclusion aspect of the conservation which is mainly white and mainly privileged so. Yeah, I think it's a real shame because obviously conservation benefits a lot from different opinions, different cultures, different backgrounds, like yes. just getting everything in the mix to solve problems. Like it's problems aren't going to get solved if it's all the same type of person giving their opinion and, you know, only trying one thing. Like it's it's obviously one of the biggest issues in in terms of like in Africa, for example, as well, like with poaching, like some of it is because local people they they are pushed out like and more privileged people will take over and like look after the animals and just not take any advice from people who you know maybe know the land better or have been there a lot longer like it's yeah. it's just yeah it's it's such it's such a shame like it's obviously one of the biggest issues um mm. it's like global yeah. gentrification yeah yeah Ugh. it's <laughs> wow. and and I'm trying to build a database <laughs> although it hasn't been going well because it's a very expensive process um but it has those different levels of like how much does uh, this organization give back to local communities like I want to have kind of a standard so that we can see hopefully we can have a transparent awareness of which organizations are actually supporting their local communities and giving and providing jobs for people yeah. instead of just the privileged people coming in and taking over, like you said. It's a very important part of conservation work. Yeah, I think that's a massive one. And that's one that I've mentioned in the in the red flags as well. Like I think it's it's important to kind of take notice of who's there looking after the animals, like who's like who are they involving because like I say a lot of the time that's where the issues lie as well so they kind of have the responsibility to to in include local people yes yes absolutely I want to go back really quick to um 
paying to volunteer because I am curious about your, like, when is it acceptable to pay to volunteer? And when is, when does it become exploitation where someone might pay and then be worked, overworked? I have this thought process, but it's just me collecting data. So you can, I would like to hear your input that if you go to uh, help an organization for their determined set amount of time, right? So let's say like you, they ask you to help for a month and they ask you to help every day or, you know, a regular schedule from a set time to a set time. And you don't have the freedom, flexibility and autonomy to do the projects and work you'd like to do. They tell you, they dictate what you're doing when you go somewhere and volunteer. I'm like, that's a job. <laughs> so what, what levels of, what other factors might be included in analyzing and assessing if something is worth paying for and you're getting tangible skills and certifications and training and apprenticeship versus an opportunity that you have to pay for. And yet it turns out to be more like a work working for the company yeah. type of situation. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? I think it's, it's all kind of situational, I guess, because if obviously if you're working or volunteering for a massive company, you would kind of, you'd either expect to be paid or like you say, to kind of be able to dictate what you're doing and what experience you're getting. But in terms of like smaller conservation projects, like the reserve that I volunteered at in South Africa, they don't get any government funding. So <laughs> everything like that goes into their conservation comes from the money from the volunteers. Mm. Um, so obviously like I wouldn't expect to go there and not pay because obviously like I want to pay for my accommodation, my food and to like put back into the project, I guess. But then I guess it's kind of a fine line if, if you are putting so much work into a project and you are paying to do that, then it's kind of like, what are you getting in return? But again it kind of depends on the project because if you're getting months of experience in in the exact job that you want to do that will in the end kind of lead to a career then I guess it, it can be seen as worth it but I think it reaches a point where if you're like paying an extortionate amount of money mm -hmm. you know you're paying more than you'd pay for rent at home to live in rustic accommodation and have a shared bathroom and you know you're not really getting any experience out of it then mm -hmm. I'd say that's when it kind of reaches the point of exploitation and you don't really know where your money's going mm -hmm. um, there's no kind of if there's no conservation effort for it to go back into then I would worry as, as to where it's going definitely yeah like even if you don't get a tangible benefit let's just say you've, you've traveled with an organization and you're like okay this isn't the greatest but at least I know I'm helping conservation. At least I can see the effects here. Then that at least there's some kind of <laughs> benefit that you can yeah. derive from that. But if you if you're not getting benefited, if you're not benefiting and conservation isn't benefiting, and the only party that seems to be benefiting is the company getting more people, more money, more what have you, then that's yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think it's worth definitely taking note as well of like how many volunteers are there at the same time as you um, mm -hmm. because obviously if there's 30 volunteers but you know there's only one job to be done that does not take 30 people right it's like why are they taking on this many people if it's not to do the work that needs doing like 
is it is it just for the money basically and for kind of more pictures to be taken to get more people to come and that's when yeah I would worry that it was it was more exploitation than actually volunteering yeah absolutely your situation sounds quite exploitative and I I hate that for you and I hate that for so many other people who fall in like fall into these traps and these pitfalls and I want to avoid that at all costs so I had another thought I wish I could remember what it was I think it was about like teaching and certifications. So um, maybe if I talk about it and flesh it out, it'll come back to me, but paying for a certification abroad. Oh, oh, I remember what I was going to talk about. (laughs) So um, I, I have kind of come to this conclusion that there's two groups of people who go on these trips. One is the young, usually female, but not always passionate, want 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 to be conservationist want to be a biologist like they don't have that experience and they're looking for that experience and a lot of these organizations cater to that person and market to that person and then end up kind of exploiting them so we need to be careful not we not you but in general <laughs> we all need to be careful about the marketing that's presented to us and be aware that that exists and if you want to get conservation experience for your CV for your resume that training apprenticeship kind of work there are good ways to go about it and there are non-exploitative ways to go about it, but that's, that's who those companies are targeting. They're targeting that person who really wants to break into the industry. And then on the other hand, there are people, um, and I am in this demographic where I would like to travel, not to add something to my resume necessarily, not to build up my skill set, but just because I want to travel to a unique ecosystem, a unique habitat that I can't find here in the United States potentially, or you know, here in Tennessee where I am located. Um, I want to travel and give back to conservation. And so I'm willingly paying for a place to stay, an opportunity to get some hands-on work and see and experience biology in a really cool, unique setting that I can't experience here. That to me is a worthwhile cause to give money towards and I and knowing that that's my end goal is to help the organization that actually does the conservation work and I can see where their money is going and I can see how they're actually giving back through the research and I'm a part of that that's um that's worthwhile to me so I think there's there's a lot of people in that camp that are willing to pay for these experiences but we want to avoid people who are in the younger camp, generally younger, or career switchers, I should say, early career conservationists that are paying and paying for maybe the wrong thing without knowing it. So there's yeah, just, yeah. there's like two camps, two demographics of people. Um, and it's different expectations and it's different goals and goals and results. Um, yeah. So I just, I don't know. I don't have a question for you here, but um, do you agree with that? Or do you, uh, that should be my question. Do you agree? Or do you have thoughts on that? Do you want to elaborate on anything there? Yeah. I mean, I think I would definitely have been in like the younger, potentially naiver camp there. Right. Um, and like, I, it's kind of frustrating because with what I know now with, with my masters and everything, I know that a few of the things that went on at that volunteer program, like I now wouldn't be involved with and, and wouldn't agree with. Right. But like at that point, I 
I and a lot of other people that were there because they didn't have this background in conservation like they just don't know that some things might not be ethical or like that or that might not be helping the animal or like mm-hmm. things like that so it's kind of it is really difficult and that's where we would kind of benefit from some kind of monitoring of, of the industry and, and like like you say holding them accountable and like almost having like a badge or something so that you know like that is legit conservation like you will get x out of it and like that is what you can expect if not more mm-hmm. but yeah like I say I think there is also the people that go on it that just love animals and just want to spend time with animals they don't necessarily want anything from it and I think that's sometimes where the issue lies as well like I say because they don't they don't have the the background in science or conservation or animal behavior mm-hmm. to know kind of right from wrong in some ways right they don't know that this cuddling with animals or the breeding programs you talked about only having babies keeping yeah. them in captivity riding elephants things like that is is wrong they just see the cute cuddling fun parts and yeah and it's sad because obviously they do it out of love because like we'd all love to do those things like if it was good for the animals like because we love animals and we want to be close to them but like it's it's sad because yeah like I you know I don't want to put people like that down because they they just don't know any better but that's kind of part of the issue right our love and our passion for animals and wildlife is creating these systems Mm-hmm. and it's sad they will, yeah these systems will exploit it knowing mm-hmm. full well that it's it's not good for the animals but they'll do it because they know people will pay to do it Ugh. yep that's pretty gross yeah it's all about money and I let's see how can we end this on a positive note um <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it really just is all about money and I I think the more people are aware the more that they will change. So we continue to bring awareness and the more, the more, you know, the better, wait, what's that saying? You know, better, do better. Simplify. Yeah. Like, yes. If you know better, <laughs> you will do better. Hopefully. Um, now, sometimes I, my personality is such that like, I have to kind of turn off social media and cause I hear all these things of like, Oh, this is how we're messing up this plan, you know, the planet in this way and don't buy this. And don't eat this way and don't travel here because it's hurting this community. And da, 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 da. I'm just like, oh, I can't do anything. I can't breathe. Like I can't, how can I function? I'm hurting, I'm hurting our planet no matter how, what choice I make. And that's stifling too. Yeah. I think it's all about being kind of understanding though and sympathetic towards people. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of when people kind of try to whether they've got the best intentions or not for the planet of animals or whatever I'm not a fan of like shoving things down people's throats and kind Mm -hmm. of saying you are wrong for doing this you're a terrible person like and they kind of they go more towards that than educating and being like understanding and saying well if, if you're trying then that's good enough it's kind of I feel like that's that's what I try to portray anyway like it's being imperfect is better than like not trying. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something I've been thinking a lot about too. In this world of social media where you, we just want to cancel people or that's the tendency is to just say this organization is bad no matter what. Like that's why we don't mention names of organizations on the podcast because I don't want to just cancel people or cancel organizations because 
because they could be improving. They, there's, if we just totally say this is wrong no matter what, there's no nuance. There's no room for growth. There's no opportunity to learn and do better. It's just a flat out, you're wrong, I'm right. Yeah. And of almost, Yeah, that's why people kind of go the complete opposite direction as well. Like if, if you just tell them that they're wrong and kind of back them into a corner without giving them any opportunities to speak, that's when, that's when people kind of lash out and they're like, okay, well, I'm not going to try then. Exactly. Like, can't do anything right, so why bother? And, right. Yeah. I have felt like that too. Like, what, why? Yeah. I can't do anything right. Everyone's gonna, even with Nova, like I can't, I'm, I'm trying my best. I can't. And it's always, it's still like, you should have done this. You should have done this. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but you don't give up. Like that's the, that's what I'm trying to tell myself. And for my mental health, like I know I, in my heart of hearts, I'm doing the right thing and making a positive change. So I don't give up no matter what internet says <laughs> yeah well I think you're doing a great job so <laughs> thank you you're doing a great job too I mean your blog post which like I said we'll link at in the show notes here is really helpful lots of good tips there um and do you have any other blog posts or videos or anything that you want to kind of promote a little bit like how can people find you if they wanted to learn more about you Sophie yeah so um I have an Instagram page that I kind of post wildlife photography like tips about sustainability and all my blog posts and that's at a day in the wildlife so if you want to follow me um, all one word yes and it's s-o-p-h right yes okay <laughs> um but yeah I always link any I, I write for a lot of different people so I always like link everything in my bio and yeah I'm happy if anyone wants to message me or ask advice about anything that we've spoken about like feel free I'm very happy to answer that's so kind of you that's great <laughs> it has been so great having you on thank you for your time thank you for oh, sharing thank you your me. thanks for sharing your experience I I really believe that when we share these experiences of exploitation and it's just going to make people feel like they're not alone, that we're all in this together and that we can make a positive change if we come together. So you, by just taking the time to share is one step closer to that. So I really appreciate it, Sophie. And I appreciate all the work you're doing. I'm probably getting paid little <laughs> to <laughs> very little, but writing blogs and doing all the, you know, the sustainability tips and doing your part to just care for and educate people about how to better our planet. It's so worthwhile. Yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely think so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for being on. And um, it was great to meet you. I look forward to chatting more on social media if I get back on there <laughs> yeah, like I said I'm taking a little bit of a break but um yeah yeah it's good to talk with you so thanks yeah me too thank you <laughs> thanks for listening and remember ethical conservation needs and deserves funds so that passionate people like you can get paid what they're worth there's enough money to go around let's go get it and use it for the good of our planet